Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Perfect start there by Aaron, yawning as we've uh, just started the broadcast. Caught us off guard. The sign of things to come. We're here on a Friday. Here's the Monday show on a Friday. Uh, giving Newcastle thumbs bright in 4-1. We felt we needed to come and look back on what was the biggest step towards top four qualification. Pretty much done and dusted now. But before we get into it, I think we have to hold the hands up to something, Aaron, because we spent the last episode, a good chunk of it, moaning and complaining that Newcastle United just don't have end product from dead ball situations. You even spent your time writing an article on it. I think there's there's more than that we need to hold our hands up to. If anybody hasn't listened to Monday's show and they're listening to this one instead, don't even bother going back and listening to it. Because we also said, not only did we talk about set pieces, we said Isaac and Wilson wouldn't work. We said Bruno couldn't play as a number six and he was really struggling. And we had you moaning all podcast saying you were nervous and I was the one being Whoa, really, what, I really confident. I was nervous. Oh. oh, I see what you're doing here. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Well, I was I, I was going to say, actually, because, <laughs> yeah, I was going to bring that up. I'm not one to, to brag. I'm not one to, you know, hype myself up. Quite modest, I'm sure, as Aaron will, will confirm. But I did tell everyone. I told everyone. There was no reason to be nervous. I was fully confident that Eddie Howe would have the tactical masterclass that we saw last night against Brighton and that the fans, as they did, would push Newcastle over the line and the players would step up and take Newcastle towards Champions League qualification. And I was spot on. But just on the dead ball situation, one of two things happened, right? Either it confirmed we know absolutely nothing about how football should be played. Can't be that. Sure. Or B, the option that I'm concluding definitely did happen. (laughs) Eddie Howe cut out... Your article from the edition of the Chronicle. Mm-hmm. He went in to the dressing room. He stuck it on the wall and said, "Hey lads, they're taking the mick out of us. Give us something from dead ball situations." And Kieran Trippier went right over boss. And then two goals come from one corner, one free kick. Well, Eddie, if you're listening, you're welcome. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. Um, yeah, what a win! What a, a performance! And I said tactical masterclass there. I think that's exactly how we should describe it because they pressed Brighton so high and so well. They set the tone for what was to come. And then in the second half, when they were understandably getting a little bit tired because they put so much energy into their performance, they sat back and they absorbed the pressure and then hit Brighton on the counter. We saw two sides of Eddie Howe's Newcastle, two really good sides of the, of the team, energy, uh, clinical, physical, feisty, I mean, if you're going to win a game and pretty much confirm Champions League football, I think it's not a bad way to go about it. Yeah, there's there's so many games at St James's Park under the Eddie Howe era where they start so well and it sets the tone from the off. We saw it with Arsenal last season. We saw it against Tottenham. We saw it against Manchester United. Last night was just an absolute masterclass of how you start a game at home relentless running, such ferocious pressing of the back four. Jason Steele, who's meant to be this fantastic player with a ball at his feet, just could not get a pass right out of his goal because Newcastle were putting so much pressure on. As you say, clinical in front of goal when they needed to be. Isaac and Wilson working very well off each other. Trippier, you know, massively raising his game with those set pieces. Miggy playing as if the clocks had been... Round, you know, rewound back to late 2022. Just everything that needed to go right did. Um, 
And I think it was pretty obvious, even though the, the, there was that little 20-minute spell in the second half where maybe nerves started to creep back into it. You know, the, the majority of that game yesterday, you, you just knew Newcastle were going to get a go over the line. Um, and I'm glad they sort of ended with a flourish to, you know, so that we can really celebrate what wasn't actually that close of a game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, them two late goals kind of changed the, the dynamic, obviously, made it look a, perhaps a little more comfortable than it was. But in truth, having seen what Brighton did against Arsenal, I mean, they are clearly a very good side, but they did struggle in that first half. And in that, I'm not going to say it was because they were very, very bad. I'm going to say it was down to what Newcastle and Eddie Howard worked on in the days before the game. Yeah, I mean, Newcastle didn't give them an inch. Brighton wanted, you know, players they usually do, passing out from the back, you know, drawing players out of position. Newcastle just did not let them. Every man knew their job. Every man knew their role. Um, there was nobody sort of where other players were having to pick up the slack for them. I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. And on a night where everything really needed to go right because of what was riding on it, how got it spot on, the players got it spot on, and the crowd as well, as you've already touched on, got it spot on. It was just one of those nights that is going to be really, really memorable, you know, as we keep seeing under Eddie Howe. Uh, Les says, afternoon all, happy Friday. Billy says, good afternoon, lads. I'm back with a suntan. Can I just recommend we hold a competition next season? It's called the Stamp Collection. <laughs> Let's see who gets the most stamps in the passport next season. You mentioned Miguel Almiron. Um, now, as the founder and chair of the Miguel Almiron fan club, I've already recorded the match preview with John Gibson. And in that episode, I tendered my resignation for the Miguel Almiron fan club because I said he shouldn't have started against Brighton and then he turned out he was arguably man of the match, didn't get a goal, but it was it was possibly one of the best non-goal scoring performances we've seen in black and white in a very long time. You know, his energy, his work rate, and then to top it off, that assist, getting the better of Casero, who he just had a bit of a Barney with as well. What a performance. Yeah, for a team that scores four goals, one in that manner, as you say, I think, I mean, he was my man of the match. I think a lot of Newcastle United fans I've seen on social media give it to him as well. Absolutely fantastic. As I say, it looked like the Miggy that we saw at the start of the, uh, the, start of the season. Um, confident, you know, running it with, at the defence with real purpose, not just going down blind alleys. Um, just absolutely fantastic. And with bodies dropping like flies in and around that position and a bit further back in midfield, it's exactly what you need for Miggy to refine that form before the last two games. Got loads of people on the Cobbins praising Miguel Almiron. Derek says, been defending Miggy for the last few weeks and Callum Post will cup uh, class as permanent form as temporary. And then Derek also says, shame on me for doubting Miguel Almiron. <laughs> uh, he also then goes on to say again, Miggy's worth having in the team for his work rate alone. Billy says Miggy worked his socks off last night. Lewis says Miggy was absolutely class last night. So loads of fans. And yes, I suspect the applications to the Miguel Almiron fan club will be on the rise once again. Even John Gibson praising him. Oh. Took me a little bit by surprise. I had to get him to repeat it. So watch out for that episode dropping at three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. We see Miguel Almiron uh, man of the match and, and quite rightly, I think. But there were so many players, if not everybody involved yesterday, that just put in an absolute shift. When the pressure is on Newcastle, when you know an early goal from the opposition will set the nerves about the stadium, to, st to step up and hit that pressure head on 
and not only hit it head on, but to handle it and mould it in your favour because that's what they did. It, in many ways, they played like they had nothing to lose. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a strange feeling because as kickoff drew nearer, my nerves started to actually weirdly drop a little bit, and actually it was turning to excitement. And I thought, right, okay, you know, it's going to be one of those memorable nights. But I think if any of those Newcastle players were feeling pretty much nerves, none of them let show. Um, they played like a team that already had the top four sewn up. It was just absolutely fantastic from minute one. And as you say, every single player on the pitch, you could argue, you know, was a standout. Um, even Fabian Chair and Dan Byrne at the back when they needed to be called upon, you know, did it. Dan Byrne has clearly been hearing the whispers about Newcastle signing and attacking, mid- uh, attacking left-back because, my God, the amount of times he was in the final third, I thought he was going to get a nosebleed. But um, f- just absolutely fantastic, honestly. If they can do that against Leicester, and this might be a little bit of a controversial take. I'm sure Eddie Howe doesn't subscribe to this view, but I actually want Liverpool to win Saturday so that Newcastle do the job and get over the line at home on Monday. I know, as I say, how we'll just want it done, you know, as quick as possible. But I would love to, I would love for them to do it on Monday night against Leicester. Yeah, because it would be an absolute party atmosphere, wouldn't it? Yeah. And again, the fans would have a massive role to play in that. And just on the fans, I mean, superb throughout. I thought, you know, the war flags displays were all the flags that the banner and the the Gallagher again, brilliant. And but what really stood out for me was about 75, 76 minutes when. Newcastle were getting a little bit deep. They were dropping deeper and deeper. Brighton was just just trying to press them a little bit further. And they were looking tired, Newcastle. And no surprise again because of the way they'd played. And I think the crowd sensed that. And the crowd just went up a level and roared them on. And I, I genuinely do think that played a massive part in then what was to come because they were looking down on their feet and... You know, it only takes one effort from Brighton to go in the back of the net and the whole dynamic, not just of that game, but the season changes. And I just want to say, like, well done to everyone in that that, that ground yesterday. Not just the corners, the full, the full uh, stadium, because I do think you guys had a massive part pushing Newcastle over the line to to what was a four-one victory in the end. Definitely, as you say, in that second half, when there was just that little brief period, Brighton get their goal sort of against the run of play. Every time they sort of ventured into Newcastle's half, it was just that little sort of nervy feeling of, are they going to throw it away? Um, and there was a brilliant moment when Brighton either, you know, misplaced a pass or had a shot that was well wide. And you just heard sort of a big roar from all four corners of the ground to say, you know, Newcastle, you've still got this. They don't want it. Um, and look, I, th- I think they'll bring it again on Monday, but even more so. Really interesting. I know I've mentioned this quite often, but I love it when you see in players you know, going over to the stands and, 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 and encouraging them. And we saw it with Botman around about the same time I mentioned, about 15, 20 minutes to go. I think it went out for a corner or the shot wide. I can't exactly remember what the, the, the kind of role of play was. But he turned to the Leaser's end and arms in the air and he wanted them to roll them on. And we know Joe Linton and Bruno is very good at doing that as well. But it, I mean, them players, they sense exactly the power the fan base can give them. Did you see, I don't know if you've seen, I saw it on social media this morning that when... I think it was Newcastle's second goal. They've just gone tunnel up their cruising, and Bruno absolutely loses his cool with the fans. He's going, he's shouting in Portuguese. Shirts, shirts yeah. getting pulled. He's as if it's as if they're losing, and he wants to say, "Come on, we want more." I mean, if he that's absolutely them, it, loves it. Honestly, he? I, I didn't think it could get better than Bruno doing that when um, the first and second goal went in. Because if you watch him, especially for Burns' goal, he grabs Burns' face and says, 
get in. And then when he goes and scores, I saw someone write this one on Twitter that he did about 10 different celebrations. He's pointing at the chest. He's on the bit on the advertising boards, you know, fingers in the ears. He's doing the fantastic celebration for um, the young lad, Arthur. Just absolutely fantastic, honestly. I, I love to see it. Mm. Let's talk about that then the first couple of goals. As we've said, finally getting some end product from, from dead ball uh, situations, which is great to see. And, and Dan Byrne as well, making the most of his height because that's probably been one of the... The, the criticism of him when he's had the chances in the air, he's not made the most of it. And it was a superb header. It, he seemed to hang in the air for so long. And also, I mean, the free kick itself, um, it took a little while to, to actually get into the box because there was a bit of a kerfuffle in the box and what mm-hmm. have you. So again, Trippier just using that little bit of experience, not letting the situation get to him, taking his time, beautiful cross in the box. And it, it's interesting as well because I wonder actually if the delay in taking that free kick aided what Newcastle were doing, because if you watch it back, um, or at least I, I, I clocked this in the moment, Callum Wilson goes out to Kieran Trippier and he says something to him. And I'm just wondering if what he said was, right, don't put it in there, put it in you know, behind me. Mm-hmm. And then there's another hand single goes up in the air. And I'm just wondering, actually, if, if Brighton's attempts to disrupt Newcastle totally backfired in the end. Yeah, obviously Fabian Cher got booked in the build-up, didn't he? Because he, he shoved Billy Gilmore and, and as you say, it did take a while to, to come. Burn, I mean, as you say, just suddenly found this attacking presence yesterday. The header for the goal, perfectly, you know, Jason Steele didn't have a chance. Great moment, moments before. It might have actually been for the build-up to the first goal where he chests it down, he has a shot um, and it gets deflected. And there was a lot of Trippier set-pieces yesterday that I thought won't get the credit, but even the ones that they didn't score from, they were really dangerous, exactly where they needed to be. Jason Steele was flat when the Brighton defenders couldn't deal with it. And obviously Eddie Howe spoke to us last night and again this morning. Somebody asked him, you know, what does it feel like to have Trippier back to his best from set pieces? And Howe was like, no, 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 he hasn't been below par. But actually, I think, you know, in his heart of hearts, Howe might actually be thinking he has. Um because we know how lethal he can be from them. But it was just good to see that he that he refound that and everything he touched last night was just spot on. Yeah, definitely. Great to see and, and maybe they are listening to the podcast and they wanted maybe. to prove us wrong. Well, we're happy to be proved wrong, lads. Uh, obviously, the, the first goal, as mentioned, corner own goal. And then Brighton scored very early on, you know, obviously goes to VAR. The defence kind of just opened up for, for Brighton, which is a little bit disappointing to see, but so important that Newcastle didn't lose focus, they didn't lose their minds, they just stayed on the, the task at hands and, and reacted. And they reacted really well, you know, they, they really did. And I know the goals, the third and fourth goal, didn't come until very late on, but, you know, very easy, I think, in that situation to to allow the bigger picture to get to you and you think, oh, we've conceded here. And, and, and a lot of teams crumbled in that situation, but Newcastle stayed calm and just got on with it. The Newcastle of old, playing a Brighton team in such a good vein of form would have probably bottled that. And I think, as you touched on earlier, the fans played a big part in making sure they didn't. But as you say, Brighton scored that first goal. You know, all of a sudden it's game on. And within 30 seconds, Newcastle were having a really good opportunity of their own. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Miggy volleying at the keeper. But there was a a chance to make it 3-1 pretty much within seconds of um, the deficit being halved. So, as I say, this Newcastle team... I, t- I talk about it a lot, and it's these nights at St James's Park. Something special about playing under the lights. We've seen it. I-, I always bang on about the Arsenal game last season. 
Manchester United on the Sunday this season. There's just sometimes the crowd and the players and how and everything just comes together. And I felt like last night was just one of those where even though Brighton came back into it slightly, the, you never really felt Newcastle were in trouble. Um, and, and given their sort of minor slump the last couple of weeks, you, you, you couldn't really say that. Thank you very much for listening to the episode so far, Andrew Muscovy. I just want to point you guys in the direction of a live event that we're holding on May the 25th. That's a Thursday night. We'll be at the Tyneside Irish Centre myself and Newcastle United writer Kieran Kelly and Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes and our chief Newcastle United writer Lee Ryder. The Daily Mirror Simon Bird will also be on the panel. But to kick things off, we'll have a club legend with us. Arguably one of the best crossers of the ball ever to play in black and white. Alan Shearer is a massive fan of this man. It is Norberto Solano. This is your opportunity to come and meet a Newcastle United legend and talk about all things Newcastle United with our panel. Hopefully, by that time, Newcastle will have secured top four football, so there's going to be plenty to talk about. The brilliant season so far, what's to come in the summer transfer window, and then those nights on the continent, hopefully against Barcelona or an Inter Milan. It's going to be a great night. To secure your ticket, hit that link in the description to this episode, and head over to eventbrite.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to see you. We can't wait to see you. It's going to be a great evening, raising really important funds as well for the Newcastle United fans food bank. So hit that link, secure your ticket, and we look forward to seeing you on May the 20th. It's interesting as well. We've spoken about it a few months back about the Newcastle of old, once they go to, uh, once they concede a goal, you're expecting them to concede a second. Or if it's late on, five minutes to go, and still 2 1 Newcastle, you're just expecting the ball to end up in the back of the net from a Brighton point of view. Whereas I don't think Newcastle fans and, and myself as a, a fan of, and a reporter, I'm not expecting Newcastle to mess it up like I used to under previous managers under the previous regime. And I think that helps as well because you don't get that sense when you're there and, and the way the crowd react that, okay, every time a team goes forward, there's not really that sense of dread anymore. There's kind of just a belief that Newcastle's defence will just deal with it and I think I felt that last night before Newcastle got the third and fourth and I think what fans understand now about this team is you know under managers gone by and this isn't just Steve Bruce this is probably about Rafa Benitez as well if Newcastle United went 2-0 up at half time and they conceded really early in the second half a lot of the time Newcastle would have just sat back tried to soak up pressure this Eddie Howe team you know they could be 2-1 up they could be 1-0 down they could be 5-0 up they're going to be relentless they're going to be attacking they're going to be sort of gung-ho in a way. Um, there's never, ever a time Newcastle sit back and soak up pressure. And there was only really a time yesterday before the third goal went in when that I noticed the drop really deep, but it was only for a very short amount of time. And as soon as they, they're clearing the danger, Howard's willing them up the pitch, Tyndall's screaming with them to keep pressing. Um, and that's the difference now with this team compared to the years gone by. They aren't happy to just but, sit but, back on a lead. But you see, I'm going to slightly disagree with you because I think there was... There was not large parts, but they did get deeper and deeper. But I, I think it was kind of a part of the game plan. They knew that they couldn't continue to press as high and as quick and as strong as they had done from the start of the game. You're just going to get tired. You can't do that. So I think when you watch Newcastle dropping deep and Bright, they're inviting Brighton on, they're going, come on then, it's up to you now. You need to come and get an equaliser. I think it was all part of the game plan just to have five minutes or so get your breath back, get your energy back, and then you switch it again. And for me, that's brilliant because Newcastle of old, again, the, what, how many game plans did they really have the Newcastle of old? It was usually 
sit back and absorb the pressure. And, you know, if it's against a good side, a point's a bonus. That's not the Newcastle that we know now. It's we're going to control this game, whether it be through a pressing uh, approach, whether it be through absorbing, hitting on the counter. This is our game and you've got to get the better of us. But I think even even when they dropped deep last night, it was a far cry from the dropping deep we saw under Benitez oh, where okay. they would have 11 men parked behind the ball and it was clear the lines, try and find Maxi and we'll try and spring a counter. This team now, yes, they dropped deep, which is natural. You're 2-1 up at home in a big game. But I thought there was never a moment you thought, oh, they're parking the bus here and settling. Do you know what I mean? You're never going to get that under an anyhow team. Um but I, I get your point. There was a period in the second half where they, you know, as you say, I think the attackers got a bit tired. Isaac wasn't as pressing as, as relentless as he was in the first half. Um, and even though we talk a lot about the plan B, and he might not have another plan B in terms of a central striker when those two play together, having Maxi, Anderson, and Gordon to come on and press is a is a huge boost. Three players with lots of energy, lots of pace. Um, so that is a good plan B in a sense. Yeah. And when you say the word try, you know, they would try and get a forward under, under Bruce or Benitez. I think, I, I, I'm not going to say the try under how. It's not, we're going to try it, we are going to do. Yeah. You know, they they know exactly what they're going to do. And you could see yesterday when they did drop deep, the ball goes to Callum Wilson. There was a moment when he brings the ball down so well and he's got two defenders around him and he tries to knock past one and the other one comes across. Fine margins because... He's through, and that would have been one heck of a goal. But there's a real intent. When they do drop deep, there's an intent to get it forward when they get the ball. All part of a game plan, showing no fear. And the, the one goal that kind of sums it up is that third goal. You know, Beautiful by Trippier, giving Matoma a little bit of a push into, into the side. And then calm on the ball. Doesn't just whack up the pitch. Calm on the ball. Gives it to Almiron, who had just come out... Uh, walked away from there, yeah, uh, throttling um, his his fellow countrymen. <laughs> he then had a bit of a word with Casido as well, just 30 seconds before, where he was equally as angry with him. The best way to shut him up is exactly what Almiron did, skinned him. Apps, I mean, the burst of pace, the confidence to do that as well, so close to your box. I mean, that if that goes wrong, you're going to get an, an absolute bollocking, I think, in the dressing room. But it worked out, never in doubt, as Matthew Weisbeck said, round Casido calm on the ball wonderful pass through and Callum Wilson races through puts the ball in the back of there and I tell you right that is not an easy task to do I know he is an absolute top class striker but you've got 52,000 people on their feet expecting you to put that ball in the back of the net with what's at stake you keep your calm back of the net beautiful I think if you're watching that game with no sound and no scoreboard in the top corner you'd be thinking for the third goal why are Brighton defending so high in the early stages? Because Miggy looked like a player who either just came on or was just starting the game. That burst of pace in the 89th minute was ridiculous. And and on Wilson's finish, it was one of those where it takes an absolute age and it feels like he's running through on goal for whatever. Shades of, remember Isaacs, very early in the season where he, he won the ball on the halfway line. He had this really long run to score his first goal at the Gallagher and he fluffed it. But you, you don't really get that feeling with Wilson... He's been there, he's done it before, there's no pressure with him. Um, and also, we where we sit in the press box, we've got a brilliant view of sort of him timing his run on the halfway line. Absolutely fantastic, honestly brilliant. 18 goals for him, superb. And uh, Les says, I've never seen Miggy as angry as he was last night. I mean, that it did stand out. I mean, he yeah. was absolutely raging. Joe Linton as well, in the first half, he was ready. I think it was Casado. He was ready to go for him because he felt he'd been... Um, 
I think he felt he'd been hit in the head and he was absolutely fuming. And what I liked about about that situation with Joe Linton early in the first half or midway through the first half was that you had Dan Byrne coming over, right, calm down. Then you had Isaac coming over and calm down. You've got people who now stand up and, and can calm the situation down because Joe Linton looked like he was ready to take the, the, the Casero to the to the cleaners and then he, you know gets a red card and you castle down to 10 men. The situation changes. But you've got you know, voices now who understand he might be a little bit feisty and sometimes he needs an arm on the shoulder just to say, right, calm down, the situation's gone, let's move on. I mean, I say that's what happened, he still was going on about five or ten minutes after. But yeah, a very feisty game. Yeah, I, I think everybody's noted actually that they've never seen Miggy like that, I certainly haven't. And Sven Botman sort of goes over to Miggy and tries to take him away and I think Botman's even a little bit surprised at what he's saying. And, Scared. Yeah, and I think... <laughs> I would say usually that I would only back one of them to win a fight, but after seeing Miggy last night, I, I don't know, he might give Botman a run for his money, but there's a lot of players in this team, as you say, a lot of feisty players, but also a lot of cool heads. Trippy has, you know, part and parcel of that, where they just calm things down, nice and controlled, um, but that's what you want to see. You want to see a bit of feistiness in that team, and, and Joel and, and Miggy are, you know, two good examples of that. Yeah, maybe what happened between Miggy and his, his fellow countrymen uh, fired him up. Uh, then the fourth goal comes from Bruno. Again, another good counter-attack. And Wilson uh, beats the defender and, uh, and then pulls it back to Bruno who puts it in at the back of the net. And I think one thing I'd start for everybody was Eddie Howe's celebrations. Usually calm, collective, doesn't really show too much emotion. But goodness me, he went a little bit crackers on the touchline, didn't he? Well, we obviously tried to ask him about this. It was pretty much one of the first questions we asked him in the post-match press conference. And as usual, he was like, no, no. Me, I was, you know, I was just trying to get my, my coaching staff back to the um, to the touchline. We all sort of noted after that game that we've never seen him like that. He's usually very cool, very composed. But even, there's a great scream grab of him on Twitter where he's beaming after that fourth goal, really, really enjoying it. Um but yeah, as we say a lot on this podcast, you're always going to get the same answers out of him. And last night was no different. He's fully focused on Leicester. He hasn't even thought about Champions League football. Um, but I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's, he's absolutely buzzing. I mean, the sense of relief that went round when that fourth goal went in, it was it was quite something. I think everybody felt it because as much as Newcastle looked in control at 2-1, like I said, it only takes one moment of magic from from Brighton one slip from Newcastle to change the game totally. Third goal goes in. I mean, and then you don't even have time to really think about it, do you? And then the fourth one goes in, and then Callum Wilson could have added another one as well. I think he'd be disappointed actually not to. But yeah, the relief that went around the stadium when Bruno put the ball in the back of the net was something I think you could see in the in the players' faces as well. Yeah, Bruno's celebration sort of summed it up, wasn't it? It was that Obviously, we've talked about how mentally it goes when either he scores or someone else scores, but the full team, you know, when they run over to try and grab him back from the advertising balls was one of, okay, we're over the line, we've done it. And that's why I really want them to do it Monday night because I just think if the game's tight and they know they need to win and they get a winner like that, it's going to be like Arsenal last season on steroids, the atmosphere inside that ground. Yeah, a bit of a risk, though. Wanting Liverpool to win, so Newcastle have to do it at home because does that not put a little bit of pressure on Newcastle? But, but there was loads of pressure on them last night, and they dealt with it. And look, if Liverpool win on, if Liverpool lose on Saturday, I'm going to be over the moon anyway. It's Champions League football guarantee. But 
I just think what a special night it'll be Monday if they do it under the under the lights. Shall we listen to what Jurgen Klopp has had to say today about Liverpool's uh, very limited chances of qualifying for the Champions League? Here he is speaking to the media. It's no, it's no problem. I never hoped. I never had hope for that. I never. I don't need that. Um, I I know that we have to win all the football games, and then there's maybe a chance, a big maybe, but that's all. So I never, I didn't watch the game last night. I watched the game last night, but I didn't watch it and, and thought when they scored goals and stuff like this that I was disappointed. I was at once in my life, and it was when Vincent Kompany fired a ball in a in a goal. Um, that was the moment, but um, never around that. That's just it's on our hands. Whatever they get, they deserve. Easy as that. Um, and so we have to do our job, and then we will see what that means. But my hope is not bigger or, or lesser than before because I never had. Is it difficult to keep No, not at all. For me, not. Not at all. I don't know why. The, the, the biggest prize in football are three points. It's a misunderstanding that it's about um, trophies and stuff like this because that's true as well, definitely. But that's in a, in a moment you win a football game in a very decisive moment. It's always the same. You go and try everything to win the game, and that's a, the, the, the reward you get uh, most of the time three points, and sometimes a trophy. And um, so that's exactly how I see it. And that means we have no, there's no better reason to, to go into a football game and we want to win it um, than then you could get three points and that's what we want. But we know it's not about us, only this story from of um, tomorrow. Uh, because Aston Villa, since, yeah, when I was there, I don't know where I would be in the table if, I, if we would have been there from the beginning. That's the, that's the, that's the truth. And um, so they, they, they play clear with football. It's, like Villarreal a little bit when he was there. Uh, obviously very successful, difficult to play against, super confident, meanwhile super settled into what they want to do. And uh, so that will be tricky, definitely. But um, must be tricky for them as well. And that, um, thank God, it became a bit more tricky for opponents recently against us. And then we should try to make sure that that will happen again. You sound like he's not bothered about the Champions League, doesn't he? I've never hoped. <laughs> Champions League, I wasn't even bothered about it anyway. Nah. We'll have a break from it. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to the Thursday night, Sunday night trip to the Europa League next season, I think is what you're saying. Just on that, by the way, great line in there from Klopp that I think anyhow might have stuck up in his house at home. The greatest prize in football is three points. That That is an anyhow quote if I've ever heard one, by the way. Yeah, awesome. And I'll tell you what I think Villa are going to beat Liverpool. Well, Saturday. look, as I say, hopefully get get the job done. And then it, I mean, it'll still be a part of the atmosphere at St James's Park Monday night. Um, but yeah, Klopp's really tried to turn the screw in recent weeks, I think. Mind games, maybe. He's been here before, he's done it, he's been in big title challenges. Eddie Howe hasn't at this end of, of the Premier League. And Newcastle have just dealt with it completely and put the pressure right back on them this weekend. Yeah, great to see them, like I say, handle the pressure that was there on Thursday night. A couple of stats then. So Newcastle have won 69 points in the Premier League this season so far, 20 more than they won last season, and they're most in a campaign since 2002-03, which was 69. So they look set to beat that. I mean, that is fantastic in itself. Matt Pizer now scored 67 goals in the Premier League this season, their most in a top-flight campaign and scoring 74 in 2001-02 and a Sir Bobby Robson. I said Callum Wilson scored his 18th goal of the Premier League season. Shearer uh, had 22 in 2003-04. I think he's going to beat that tally, Callum Wilson. How many did Shearer have? 22. Oh, 
Four in the last two games. I'm going for it. I think so. I think I, I look six 0 against Leicester. <laughs> it's happening, right? Uh, Julian's and I love this stat by the way because I thought Julian had another good game yesterday. A uh, bit worried that he had to limp off. Concerned about uh, the midfield on Monday. We'll talk about that in a moment. He committed eight fouls in the match, the most by a Premier League player since Andre Gomez in October 2019, Ferreton against West Ham. He didn't receive a boogan. Yeah. The most by a player without receiving a yellow or red card since Alessandro Dimanti committed eight fouls for West Ham back in 2010. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, I'm not going to have to say any more about that stat. Yeah, if I'm completely honest, I didn't actually realise. Did you realise in the game that Joel Linton had done that many fouls? Because I certainly didn't until a, a, f- a friend of mine texted me this morning and said, did you know Joel Linton had eight fouls last night and didn't get a yellow card? He let my bet build that down. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I, I haven't watched the full game back, but I think it was a very stop-start game in many ways. You had two clearly good footballing sides, but I think both of them had ideas of game management. I mean, I saw Paul Dummett within about 25 minutes of the game. He was on a touchline and the ball boy threw the ball in a little bit quick. And I look, I don't know what Paul Dummett said to him, if anything, to the ball boy, but it looked like he was just saying, you know, just don't have to throw it straight back in straight away. Um, and I felt both teams were looking for ways to disrupt each other's play, whether it's a player going down, whether it's, you know, not giving the ball back straight away when it's when they put, the opponent's got a free kick or what have you. And I, I just felt it, it didn't flow maybe as much as the neutral would have wanted. That said, you know, when it did flow, both sides, I felt, were showed exactly why they were up, up the right end of the league. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there was definitely aspects of that from Newcastle towards the end of the first half and even in the second half. But it wasn't noticeable. You know, other games, Newcastle have had this really annoying stereotype you know and label put on them about time wasting I didn't think you had any of that last night or at least it wasn't noticeable um, which is good because I'm sick of talking about it after Newcastle win um, but yeah I, I completely agree with your sentiment on that yeah fantastic fantastic win just quickly want to talk about the nominations um, for manager of the season Eddie Howe alongside Pep Guardiola uh, Unai Emery, Mikel Arteta, Marco Silva. Have I missed anyone out of that list? I don't think so. I don't think so. Can he win it? I think if he qualifies for the top four, which is looking likely now, I think he deserves it. I mean, he should win it. I think, the, uh, f- for me, the only thing that would that would have stopped him winning it in my eyes was maybe Arsenal winning the league. Yes, Arsenal were fifth last year, you know, but nobody really expected them to win the league. I think now Arsenal have, have bottled the league, I think. Everybody's saying, well, Pep, you know, he's on the course for a treble, but this is we're talking about Premier League manager of the season. Manchester City were favourites to win it. They, they have won it in good style, but the job Eddie Howe has done from taking this team from, you know, relegation follow last season to Champions League hopefuls, I, th- I think he deserves it. And yeah. I think I would say that even if I wasn't a Newcastle fan. Joseph uh, says, has to be Eddie Howe as Arteta was the front runner if Arsenal won the Premier League. Christopher says, if Manchester City win the Champions League, then Pep will get it. Yeah, but as Aaron says, surely it's just got based on what they do in the Premier League. Fantastic to uh, win the title, but expected. No one's expecting Newcastle to be in the top four. So hopefully the uh, panel of experts can uh, vote for Eddie Howe and crown him manager of the season. Again, really good to see him praising his staff. It's not about him. Not about him, is it? It's about him and his staff. 
which is fantastic to, to see when he does that. Young player of the season, Botman and Isaac nominated um, alongside Odegaard, Haaland, uh, Saka's in that list. There's a few others. Uh, the frustrating thing there is if Isaac had had a full season, I think he would have walked that. Yeah, I agree. I think Haaland will, will probably, as expected, win the, the senior player of the year. I'm not sure if you can win both. I'm guessing you well, can't, yeah. surely. Um but, but, but then why? But then why nominate? Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I hope it's the case because I think if if Harlan can win them both, he probably does. Um, I agree, Isaac with a full season. I think you look at his goal numbers and what he's done um, in the second half of the season. I think he'd be a shoe in. My personal opinion is I think one of the Arsenal lads will win it if it's not Harland, Um purely because they've probably had a little bit more sort of national recognition. Um, but Isaac and Botman definitely definitely deserve to be up there. And then the player of the season, Trippier, nominated alongside Odegaard, Saka, Harry Kane, De Bruyne and Haaland. There's only one place that's going to go. Well, not if you're Garth Crooks, who, does, who doesn't want to go to, to Haaland because he <laughs> wants it to go to someone who does more than just score goals, which, by the way, is an absolutely bizarre statement, especially coming from someone who is a very good goal scorer as well. Yeah, Mind blown at that. For me, as good as Kieran Trippier has been, you can't look past someone who's had 36, 37 goals this season. Yeah, fair play to Trips for getting there. He's done absolutely fantastic. But yeah, I don't think many people will be arguing if, if Haaland gets it. But what is a massive plus, even if Botman and Isaac do not win the Young Player of the Season awards, but only one of them can, the fact that they're nominated, they're still young enough to be in that list. I mean, it's a scary thought that you've got Botman, who's done superb in his debut season, Isaac, who's done superb in the half the season he's had, and they're still so young. They're nowhere near their prime. You look at those two, you look at Joe Willock, still very, very young. Um, you suspect in the summer there'll probably be a couple more of that sort of age bracket coming in. Um, yeah, the, f- the future's incredibly bright. It's also incredibly scary considering Haaland's also nominated in that. Yeah. That's his order guard. So it kind of says, okay, this is what you're up against. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who wins that. You guys can vote on the Premier League website, but you don't crown the winner. It uh, comes as a mixture of you guys and the experts. So head over to the Premier League and make sure you vote for Eddie Howe and one of the Newcastle United contingent. Now, the midfield on Monday is going to look slightly different, we suspect, because obviously Willick's out. Joe Linton picked up a knock. Bruno, despite all the fears, seems to be the one that's most fit. <laughs> um, chance for Anderson, but then he picked up a knock. So maybe a chance for... For uh, Lewis Miley. Yeah, I think based on what Eddie Howe uh, said to us this morning on Friday, he sort of said that Joe Linton picked up one of those knocks that he picks up pretty much every game because he's running through uh, brick walls, was I think the term he used. It sounded a little bit like Joe Linton would be fit. Willick, that, if that isn't a season ender, I don't know what is. I mean, he hadn't even lost the ball and he was already pulling up. Um if, if you ask me right now what the midfield three will be, I think it'll be Bruno, Jolin and Anderson. They've kept Lewis Miley and uh, Anthony Castle. Um, they haven't allowed him to go at the under-17 European Championships, even though Eddie Howe really wanted him to go. They just they couldn't let him because of their, their lack of numbers in the middle of the park. Sean Longstaff, you know, we, it was hinted that he might be right for Arsenal. Then Eddie Howe came out after and said he had, he had no chance. Then there was nothing about him being all right um, for this one. He did see he, he progressed... All right. Can I just say, right? Get that pen out of your mouth. That's my pen. Sorry. No, it's not. It is. Have you stopped at this nice hotel? I've been using that for five days. I was wondering where it was going. I was going to mention it before, and then you've had it in your mouth. You can keep it now, mate. 
I'm sorry, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, Sauron's just... Uh, never mind. Um, yeah, Sean Longstaff. So he said he'd made good progress ahead of uh, the Brighton game. Yeah. And he wasn't included. He was, he was there at the stadium. And then he said today... I mean, what did he... Because, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen the press conference, but I've read it on, online that there's a fear that he he's done for the season now. But I've got a little bit of sneaky suspicion that the bench might not be too far away for, for Monday. It's a weird one with Longstaff because he obviously picked up the, the injury in Everton um, and in the days after, the sort of briefing was that he was going to be out for the rest of the season. All of a sudden, Eddie Howe comes out and says, no, 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 he, you know, he, we don't think it's too serious. We're sending for scans. We've got the scans back. There's nothing broken. He was asked this morning, is he f- you know, fit for Monday? Eddie Howe says he hasn't trained, so probably not. That might well mean that he's starting. It might just be mind games, but I mean, time's running out. It's two games left. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him. I guess if Liverpool lose on Saturday, then there's no need to rush him back Why would you risk and, and risk it. Start Lewis Miley. Exactly. I mean, it'd be a great experience for that. I thought Ali Anderson did really well, so hopefully that little uh, he looked like he rolled his ankle doesn't affect him too much. And you still got you know Anthony Gordon can can get into it. I thought it was quite telling as well when the pressure was a little bit on Newcastle. He didn't, Eddie Howe didn't turn to Gordon or St. Maximum until the fourth goal had gone in. And I just wonder, bigger picture looking at that, is that maybe because he he doesn't feel they had the, the discipline? Because I feel like if Jacob Murphy had been on that bench and fit and, and, and raring to go, I feel like he would have been on 65, 70 minutes. I, I just thought, what did you make of this, the service? Because obviously then he brings on Target as well, doesn't he? Um, and Mankio. Who, by the way, He's, he, or I think Javi Bancuero is absolutely brilliant. He's not put a foot wrong in the brief time we've seen him. What? Hang on. Did he? Did he not come on in the ninety fourth minute yesterday? Yeah. What did he but, do? But yesterday? You know what? what did not, he do yesterday? That I really just, I just, He chased one of the down. He got a foot in, oh, didn't did he? he? Well, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I, I just like him. I just yeah. <laughs> give him a new contract. Good backup. But yeah. What did you make of the subs? I just was sitting there thinking it's quite interesting because they need fresh legs, but he's not making any subs. Oh, Maxine Gordon players you bring on it. 1-1, one, 2-1 one, down when you're chasing a little bit. I, I get what you mean. Other the players that you bring on when you're trying to defend the league, probably well, not. That was probably the not. That Jacob you. Murphy, as you say, you can sort of trust him to do both. Um, I hadn't actually I hadn't actually thought about that um, until you mentioned that. But I suppose even when it went to 2-1, they were still playing very good football going forward. Isaac was still playing very well off the left. Maybe Howdy's didn't want to change it for that reason. Uh, the mighty win says, get in Elliot from the start. Great to see what he can do. To kind of phrase says, maybe Gordon, Bruno Anderson, if there's no Joe Linton. The mighty win says, here, here, Andrew. Mankio is very underrated. See? I know what I'm talking about. Thank you very much, mighty win. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on Monday with it, with the injuries. Um, but, you know, hopefully Liverpool get beat on Saturday and it's not such of a big deal but of course you'd like to go out with a win and I'm sure they will do I mean Leicester if they beat, get beat on Monday they could be they could be down if Everton beat Wolves so I mean they were lost cause aren't they really yeah I think it, if you're Dean Smith and Leicester the place you probably don't want to go is St James's Park on a Monday night with Champions League on the line Um, pretty much the worst possible scenario for them so yeah they, I mean they could be down by that point but or pretty much all but down Um. And I think they're going to really struggle to get out of it. It's going to be a brilliant night on Monday. War Flags planning something very, very special. So if you're looking enough to have a ticket, make sure 
um, you get involved in that uh, display. Quick word as well for the guys who came over from the Newcastle United Supporters Club in Singapore, making the trip over 7,000 miles, 17-hour flight, lucky enough to be there against Brighton, we'll be there again against Leicester. You know, very passionate fans, great to see them being able to make the trip and to experience it, you know, a win under the lights and such an important win as well. Yeah, fantastic. Um, great to see that the, the club as well were, you know, retweeting that yesterday. I saw you got a few... Um, Good mentions on that, yeah, fantastic to see, and good to see that they, they saw such a good game as well, picked mm. a good one to come for. And hopefully another one on Monday to follow. We will finish off then on some trivia. Are you ready? I think you should do all right at this one. Oh, okay? That means I'm going to do terrible at it. Set me stored out. Newcastle have scored four or more goals in eight Premier League games this season, as many as they've managed to do in the previous ten top flight campaigns. Can you name the eight Premier League games in which they have scored four or more goals. Um, last night, Fulham away, Villa, Brentford, Spurs, Everton, Southampton. How many have I got left? Uh, you have uh, two left. Look at that. I mean, that is, you've got every guess right there so far. Two left. Um, Leicester. No, no. Started so well. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm running out with teams. Are any of those teams repeated? Have they done the double? No, no, no they haven't actually. Um, one was at home. One was away. One was a victory. One was not. They scored four goals and they didn't win. I went there. <laughs> like, oh, I must have must have missed that game. I'm just checking your um. Keeping, keeping, um, keeping alert. Sorry, so you got one more. One more. Um, Bournemouth. Do you know what? I think I must have missed one out there because oh. I've got seven written down. I've got eight written down, but I had I stupidly had Man City oh, three, so three written down. Go on, then get the other one. One's away. Um, nah, I'm, I'm struggling. Yeah, I've said Bournemouth, but I don't know. So the beat West Ham five one away. Oh, God, bloody hell, of course that was like last month. <laughs> yeah, and then I can't remember what the other one was, but they, they, they scored four. So I'm sure someone in the comments or listening to this later will tell me the one I've missed out. But yeah, what a goal-scoring campaign by Newcastle United. Yeah. It, it blows your mind slightly. Yeah, I was talking to one of our colleagues today, plus 35 goal difference. I mean, Newcastle United were plus 35 goal difference. They'd struggle to score 35 in a season under previous matches, but yeah. Absolutely fantastic. There was one comment there actually asking you, Aaron, do you think Callum Wilson can continue the goal-scoring form he's found? Because he's been absolutely brilliant, hasn't he, in the in the previous kind of four or five weeks? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm going to agree with you that he's going to beat Shearer's record, but I think, I mean... <laughs> Just for people tuning in a little bit later, Shearer's record in his, in the last season that Shearer scored yeah, a boatload of goals. Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. The form he's in at the minute, he looks fitter than he ever has, probably because he's had half a campaign and being rotated with Isaac. Um, but yeah, absolutely can keep it up. I'm, I'm looking forward to him notching a few more in the last two games. Do you know what? I'm looking at the season. I cannot, for the life of me, work out which one I've missed out there. But it was definitely it, wasn't it? Anyway, someone will tell us. But yeah, fantastic goal-scoring season from Newcastle United. Well, ladies and gents, thank you very much for tuning in to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Head over to chronicalive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. There'll be two 
podcasts coming in this weekend, one from myself and Gibbo, the match preview, and one from the view from the opposition from Jordan Blackwell, who unfortunately for him covers Leicester City. <laughs> from me and Aaron, we shall see you very soon. <laughs> <laughs>